Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me here on the show. And if you haven't clicked that follow or subscribe button, hey, go ahead and do that right now. Coming out with new episodes every Wednesday morning for you, so be sure you check it out. If you haven't left me a rating or a review, I'd love to hear from you as well, so be sure you do that also. Excellent show lined up today. Our first segment is going to be how to be your pack's leader. Yeah, we're going to dive into about how to be the pack leader, what it takes, what a pack leader is, and get into some of the nitty gritty details of that. Then we're going to have the guest spot. And our guest today, I'm welcoming back Dr. Jackie Lyle from the Stuart Sound Animal Hospital. And today she's joining me. We're going to be talking about a very specific subject. We're going to be talking about dog diets. Yes, dog diets, uh, grain-free, raw diets, maybe some of the do's and don'ts of that, and really interesting stuff and packed full of some very good information there. So again, Dr. Jackie Lyle will be joining me on that guest spot. Then we'll have our Breed of the Week, followed by our listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Before we get going, I'm going to give you our trivia question today. And today's question is... What breed of dog inspired the character Chewbacca from Star Wars? Yes, what breed of dog inspired the character Chewbacca from Star Wars? And I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's episode, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. on Speak a Dogcast, it's how to be your pack's leader. Everybody's heard of this, be the pack leader. You should always be the leader of your pack, and you know what? I agree with that. I do. You should definitely be the leader of your pack. You don't want your dogs leading you. That's not a healthy thing. So that's the first thing I want to establish right off the bat. I'm cool with being the pack leader. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. That's what you want. However, There are a lot of words that have been associated with pack leaders, such as dominance and alpha, and I think those words get a bit misconstrued. You know, this goes back to, like, punishment. If I ask 10 different people the definition of punishment, I'm probably going to get 10 different answers. If I were to ask 10 people the definition of dominance and alpha and what they view of those words, I'm going to get 10 different responses, okay? So there's my first issue with words like dominance and alpha, I avoid them because they can be misunderstood, misconstrued, or just given altogether completely different definitions. So again, my job as a behavior specialist, my job is to quantify and qualify things. So if I have words that don't give me that ability, that are that are very generalized, that can mean 20 different things, I'm going to avoid using those words, okay? Simple as that, simple as that. So that's the first thing I don't like. Uh, dominance and, 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 and alpha, the words just don't have a very black and white definition, okay? Now, like I said, the other thing is the connotation of dominance and alpha, it means anger and horribleness and just, ah, <laughs> that's just not the case in the dog world of what dominance and alpha mean. So that's why I don't use those words, because it just means something different in the dog world, and it's easier to just not use those words, okay? So let's talk about pack leader, right? Pack leader. So like I said, I don't have a problem with using the words pack leader. You should be the leader of your dog. So what does it mean to be the pack leader? And then how do we become the pack leader? Those are two things we have to discuss as well. 
Um, now, dogs are wired differently than human beings. If they weren't, they wouldn't be dogs. They'd be humans. <laughs> so dogs are wired differently. We all know it. They're wired in a hierarchy. Their brains are wired to accept the social structure of a hierarchy, right? One dog or one person is in charge. Everybody else follows. So we have to understand and be able to apply those rules to a dog and treat them as such. Otherwise, we get imbalance and behavioral issues. So we have to understand that that hierarchy is there. But we also have to understand how, how we implement that hierarchy, right? Um, you know, what, what does a dog look for in a leader? That's kind of, I think, where you have to start when we're asking, what does it mean? What, is, what does a pack leader mean to dogs? Uh, you have to start with what do dogs, what qualities do a dog look do dogs look for in their leader okay now everybody's heard calm but assertive right we've all heard it calm be calm but assertive and that's that really is kind of the truth i mean there's really not much of a better way to say it than that uh be calm but assertive that's what they look for you know one example is when i'm out working with um maybe some more intense dogs maybe dogs that do have some aggressive tendencies it's very important that i remain calm when i'm working with them the more frustrated and the more worked up I get, it's only going to reflect back and give me a worse reaction out of that dog, okay? So it's really important that I remain calm. And I mean, so, sometimes when I'm working with some of these more severe, more intense dogs, uh, you know, they'll be trying to come at me and attack me, and I'm just keeping my cool talking to the owner going, hey, oh, has this ever happened before? And you know, the owner's going, oh my God, he's trying to kill you. It's like, no, it's all good. We'll just, you know, we'll deal with it. Um, <laughs> but that's the essence of a pack leader right there, guys. They're calm, cool, collected. You need to be calm as a cucumber. Yeah, you do. You have to be calm, cool, and collected, calm, but assertive. Okay. Now that brings me to, um, you know, the next point here is in the human world, you know, think of it like this. If I've got a coach, a sports coach, football coach, what have you, and they're trying to give us a pep up speech, right? I don't want a coach that's going to go, oh, okay, guys, well, I'm, I'm just going to be like, let's let's go out there and, and beat those other guys, but let's not be too mean. Let's just, let's have fun. And that's not going to get me pepped up, right? But if I go to the opposite end of the spectrum, I have a coach who's yelling at me and screaming at me and telling us how horrible we are and we're the worst and we're awful and demeaning us. And that's not going to work too well either, right? What we need in a leader is someone who's calm, cool, and collected who's out there commanding a presence, but is lifting us up and supporting us, right? That's what I would want to look for in a good coach. I had some good coaches growing up in different sports I played. I also had some maybe not good coaches, and it's very clear the difference, right? Um, lead by example. <laughs> We've heard that too, right? Lead by example. So if you're trying to lead your dog and you're getting frustrated or angry or you're trying to be really assertive or... Guess what your dog is going to reflect back? Guess what example you just displayed to your dog? Is that calm and assertive? No, no, it's not. Um, so keep that in mind. You've got to be calm and assertive because that's the quality that they look for in a leader. Okay, so calm but assertive. Definitely the right way to say that. Okay, so, you know, you want to find that happy medium. When it comes to being a pack leader, you need to exude confidence. Absolutely. You need to be sure of yourself, but you don't want to be angry about it. That's what a true alpha or leader is in the dog world. Okay. The pack leader, if you will, the alpha, the dominant one, they put the rules and the structure in place without it becoming an emotional thing. 
Okay, I think one of the biggest issues I run into with people uh, not portraying themselves as a leader to their animals, I think the number one problem is that they're too emotionally involved in it. They're like, David, it's it's their pet. How could they not be? Correct. Um, I get it. Believe me, I understand. I love my animals. I love my dogs. But you can't emotionally react back at them. Look, think about, think about a little kid, okay? Think about a little kid. If you are trying to parent a child and the child knows how to get under your skin, what is that child going to do again? Oh, they're going to get under your skin when it's really inconvenient, aren't they? They know how to manipulate you now because you're showing weakness. I know some people aren't going to want to hear that, but boy, is that the truth. Look, predators by nature, what is, what is their job? Their job is to actually exploit weakness. That's a predator's job. So when I walk into a home and I have a dog misbehaving, normally what's happened is that dog has actually exploited the human's weakness. Now, biologically, we could argue that that weakness is built into us, right? Uh, cry of a baby, baby's faces. It's been proven that we're, we're kind of biologically, um, uh, we, we, our brains melt. <laughs> they melt when we see those things because obviously we biologically want to be um, loving and caring of those things, or we wouldn't want to keep procreating and so on and so forth. Because, hey, kids are a pain in the neck, right? <laughs> if it wasn't for the adorable moments and the cuteness of it, I don't know uh, many of you out there would keep having children, right? <laughs> uh, no, but seriously. Um, anyway, uh, I'm kind of going off there, but point is, guys, the pack leader is not emotional. The pack leader doesn't lose their cool. The pack leader, no matter what happens, they stay calm as a cucumber and they address what needs to be addressed and they deal with it. And that's how I try to be with all my dogs and with my clients. Very matter of fact, you know, I tell, I tell people this all the time, be matter of fact. That's kind of what it comes down to. That's what the pack leader is. They're very matter of fact. Okay. Be matter of fact. You know, that's, that's what you have to be. You have to be very matter of fact. No, no emotional involvement, no craziness. Okay. So I, I do, I discovered that a lot of times my clients are too emotionally involved. They take it too personal that their dog doesn't want to listen to them. And what ends up happening is they're giving off, if you will, giving off bad energy, okay? Their body language is not the body language of someone who's confident. It starts breaking down and they start almost arguing with the dog and the dog and getting frustrated and then the dog reflects the back of them. And you wonder why your dog doesn't look at you as a pack leader. So... You definitely need to be the pack leader, but you have to understand what a pack leader is in the dog world. Again, calm and collected, calm but assertive. That's what you need to be to your dog. I don't know about you guys, but I would love, and my dogs do, not I would love, I love the fact that they do. I love the fact that my dogs look at me as a source of strength. That's so cool. And I, I really hope your dogs look at you as a source of strength. That's why my dogs don't have separation anxiety. That's why my dogs are exercised and happy and healthy. That's why my dogs don't react at other dogs and go nuts and try to kill them. Um, because they look at me as a source of strength, and in doing so, they look at me as a source of information, and as a source of information, I'm their pack leader. And if I give good information, well, then I can create stability within my pack. And that's what I do every day. Okay. So... You guys can have the power to do that too. So how do you become the pack leader? Well, I already kind of said it. The first thing you got to do is calm down. 
You know, when I first started years ago, I was reading a lot of different training books. And of course, you'll, you'll read things that tell you to be confident on the walk. When you're holding the leash, you need to have your shoulders up and head back and do, do, do. And I'll, you know, I'll admit there's something to that because I used to walk more frustrated. And this was when I first started training. Uh, I didn't realize it. I didn't know it at the time, but I walked around very frustrated with my dogs because first of all, I was terrified of what people would think of me. I was, I was so scared. I was starting my business. Uh, I didn't want to hurt my reputation. What if, what if my dogs aren't perfect? What if they're misbehaving? What if, what if they don't look trained enough that someone would want to hire me? Um, I used to play the what if game all the time. And side note, don't doubt yourself. Um, man, easier said than done, right? But don't doubt yourself. You got to have confidence. And I was, I was doubting myself and my dogs did reflect that a bit. They weren't as good on the walk as they could have been. Um, I was trying to teach them to walk off leash and they kept getting distracted and they kept not listening to me. And, you know, I was learning at that point, but I remember reading the whole, Hey, act confident, put your shoulders back, act like you've done it a thousand times and just get it done visualize how it looks getting it done, right? Visualize it first. Before you walk out that door, you need to visualize having your dogs behave. Seriously. You need to visualize yourself being confident and not getting frustrated. So that way, when you do walk out the door, you've got your shoulders back and you're already in that mental state, which is phenomenal. And I noticed a huge difference. I did. I really did. I noticed a huge difference in my walk. And I tell my clients, before you walk out that front door, you need to take a deep breath, carry yourself high, and you need to exude confidence, right? That's what you need your dog to pick up on, confidence. And I promise you, just something that small not changing anything else with your leash work and all that, uh, all the other details that come with it, but just that little change of acting confident, acting calm, acting assertive, it can make all the difference in the world. You know, there's that, what's the saying? Um, you act like you know what you're doing, you know, people won't question you. And it's so true. How many times in life, uh, a few times in my life, maybe you've gone uh, somewhere you backstage or something you shouldn't have. Uh, you grew up in the theme park world. Um, <laughs> but if you act like you know what you're doing, people tend to not question you. And I'll be darned if it doesn't transfer over to animals, right? If you act, well, first of all, I don't, I, I don't think it's an act. I think if you start acting confident, you believe it. And when you believe you're confident, you are confident. That's really what I think ends up happening is by, by changing your body language, you actually put yourself in a better mental state to be able to be calm and assertive. It's, it's awesome. So just think about that. Before you start your walk with your dog, take a deep breath, put your shoulders back, keep your head high, be calm, cool, and assertive. So that's the, that's really the first way we can start to be the pack leader. And of course, guys, that walk. Okay. I stress it all the time. I'm stressing it again. You have to take your dog for a proper walk. If you haven't listened to my segment on how to take your dog for a walk and how to create a proper walk, definitely go back and check that out. A lot of good information in there. And it is the foundation for dog training. A proper walk is the foundation. You have to lay a good, solid foundation, and the only way to do it is a proper walk. So having a proper walk really is, the is, is to me, actually, the first and foremost. That's the first way we can establish to our dog that we're the pack leader, okay? So definitely be sure you're getting a good walk in.
Now, a lot of other little ways that you can help establish uh, being the pack leader versus your dog being the leader, um, you know, it's kind of obvious, I think, but a lot of people don't see it. Don't let your dog boss you around, right? If your dog is barking at you because it's time to eat, or your dog is barking at you because they want this or that, or they're adamant at playtime and they won't leave you alone to the point that it becomes obsessive, well, then your dog is trying to lead you, and that's not okay. So to me, it's, it's again, it's kind of obvious. Don't let your dog lead you around. Now, there's a difference. If your dog has been trained to tell you they need to go outside, there's a difference between them coming over and going, woof, I need to pee, versus obsessively coming over and going, woof, play with me, woof, play with me, woof, play with me, woof, play with me, woof, play with me. I don't care that you told me five times to go lay down. Woof, play with me, woof, play with me, woof, play. Two different things, guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, very, very, very rare occasion. I forget. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's been six, seven hours since I took my dogs out. That rarely happens because we have other dogs in the house all the time. So I'm constantly taking dogs out. Uh, but in the rare instance, it's been a while and it's just slipped my mind because I'm a human at the end of the day. One of my dogs will come over and kind of look at me and go, boof. <laughs> you know, let out a little boof. It's not this demanding, obsessive. It's like, hey, uh, did you forget to take us out? Um, <laughs> that's much nicer. That's totally acceptable. That's totally different. Um, but people who let their dogs constantly, look, there's no other way to put it, bully them around. Well, then guess what? Your dog is leading you. And if you're allowing that in 10 different aspects of their life, then it's just adding up and reinforcing and strengthening that behavior. Right. A dog just getting away with the behavior can reinforce and strengthen it, uh, strengthen it. On top of that, they get away with the behavior and then you give them whatever they want. You just reinforce that undesired behavior and you don't even realize it. So think about that, guys. Don't let your dogs boss and bully you around. It's something really simple and really easy that you can take control of. Right. Um, so. You know, people ask me, well, then where's the line, right? Where's the line with like playtime? If my dog just wants to play and it comes up and asks, well, then that's fine. Again, if it's not obsessive. But look, I hear things all the time where the dog will come up and growl at the person because they're ignoring them or will start nipping them or will literally sit there for 45 minutes pestering them. That's a lot different, guys. Look, the pack leader doesn't have to be available for playtime 24-7, <laughs> okay? I mean, you don't. You don't have to. You don't. Your dog should not be that needy. And if they are, that's a problem. Look, I always say any obsessive behavior is not a good or desired behavior. Okay? Think about it. Even in the human world, obsessive things are not good, right? Even drinking too much water can kill you, right? If you drink too much water in too short a period of time, it can kill you. That's obsessive. So to me, it's pretty crystal clear. Any obsessive behavior is not a healthy thing. I've said it before, life is about balance. Obsessive is not balance. Obsessive is extreme, okay? So life is about balance. So if I see a dog being obsessive about anything, I don't care what it is, anything, to me, that's not good, okay? It's as simple as that. And a lot of times those obsessive behaviors end up becoming controlling behaviors. And then controlling behaviors end up turning into the dog thinks it's leading you. And then it's the pack leader. Now you got a problem because you have a dog who thinks it can control you, but you still control a lot of other aspects of its life. And now you have this back and forth constant battle for control. And that ends up turning into behavioral issues. Okay. So it's very important that you are the pack leader and that you don't let your dog bully you around. You need to get them to relinquish control. So going back to it, 
if a dog comes up and is obsessively telling me to play, I tell them to go lay down. Hey, right, I've taught them, go spot. I've talked about that before. Go lay down on your dog bed. That's a healthy way to redirect them and say, you know what, I don't want to play right now. And that's perfectly fine. Because if you make yourself, oh, you want to play, let's play. Oh, you want to play, let's play. Oh, you, you are actually reinforcing and creating an obsessive behavior if you're available to play every time that dog comes over and demands it. It's no different if your dog comes over and demands to be fed at 5 p.m. every single day. That's obsessive, guys. Not a good thing. I usually feed my dog in a range, dogs in a range of time, right? Like somewhere between like, um, you know, 6 and 8 o'clock at night. That's the range I go for. That way they're not obsessively expecting to be fed at 6 p.m. every night. It comes somewhere in that range. They know it's coming. They're not obsessive about it. They don't care because they know they're going to get fed. They know the leader is taking care of it. The more I can show my dogs, hey, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. The less that they're going to be anxious, the less that they're going to try to lead me, the less that they're going to try to control me. I don't know why. I really don't. I don't know where this misconception started. I don't know how long ago. I've only been training animals for 10 years. I don't know everything. But I don't know where the misconception started that having control of your dog is a bad thing. Having your dog relinquish control to you is a bad thing. Having your dog not be obsessive is a bad thing. I don't know where all this crap started, but it's wrong. It's outright wrong. The more you can get your dog to relinquish control to you, the happier and more balanced your dog will be. It's correct, guys. That's the correct way. Your dog, as I talked about at the very beginning of this segment, your dog's brain is wired to be told what to do, to, to, to crave being told what to do. And the more you tell them what to do in a healthy way, of course, through the use of reinforcement and punishment, as I've talked about, through the use of affection, treats, and punishment, and consequences, and boundaries, through a balanced set of that, your dog's going to be so much happier. <laughs> I promise you. Like I, I just I want to scream it from the top of the world. You need to be the leader to your dog. You need to. Your dog will be happier and will be, if it can be grateful, I can't prove it. I don't know that they are. But if they could be grateful, if they can be grateful, they would be, will be, if you take control of your dog. Okay? I can't stress it enough. The more you take control, the less that they're worried about the world around them. The less they're worried about the, about the world around them, the happier and healthier they'll be. The less anxious they're going to be. So I may sound like a broken record, um, but I really want this to hit home for you guys. You have to be the pack leader. In order to be the pack leader, you have to exude confidence. But you also have to be calm and you have to be cool. Be cool as a cucumber, right? Uh, that's what you have to give off. Like I said, matter of fact. When I deal with dogs, I'm very matter of fact. I give a treat, I go, good boy, and I'm done. If I give a correction, I go and make a little correction, go, and I'm done. I go back to affection, give a treat, good boy, done. Very matter of fact. Because that is giving them very black and white information. And the more black and white I can be to them, the more they look at me as a leader because I'm offering good information. Okay? I've said it before. Training is about, really, training is about giving good information. That's what training is. Okay? It's offering information to the animal. Hey, here's a reward, here's a consequence. Which one works better for you? Okay. And that's what a leader is. I make it very crystal clear to the dogs. Here's the boundary. Here's the reward. Which one works better for you? 
Okay. But I have to set that up in a black and white way as the pack leader. Again, easiest ways to establish that guys. Don't let your dog bully you around. Go for healthy, long walks to establish yourself as the leader. Okay. Don't be mean. And I haven't said this yet. Don't be mean. Just mean it. Okay. That's my favorite saying. I love it. (laughs) I love that saying. Don't be mean. Just mean it. Okay. As I said, I have intensity with everything I do when I'm working with dogs. I have intensity. Absolutely. I go, good boy, good boy, good boy. Or again, correction or no. Good boy, good boy. There's intensity behind that. It's not good. Good boy. Good. Hey, good. Good job. Hey, no, no, don't do that. No, none of that. Right. There's intensity and confidence. Intensity equals confidence. I'm not saying get angry, because like I said, don't be mean, just mean it. Don't get angry. Don't be mean, just mean it. Have that intensity. Intensity equals confidence. Okay, so establish yourself as the pack leader by going on a good, healthy walk. Establish yourself as the pack leader by not letting your dog bully you around, not letting your dog control you. Take control over your dog in a healthy and balanced way and your dog will be happier and mentally more stable, okay? Again, dogs have a hierarchy. The reality is they wanna be told what to do. They crave structure, they crave rules, they crave boundary. They also crave affection and attention too, absolutely. But we have to provide the structure and the rules first, and then the affection and all of that can come later, okay? That's what being the pack leader is. Be calm as a cucumber, don't be mean, just mean it. And if you start displaying these uh, these rules, these these guidelines towards your dog, I promise you, you're on your way to a better and happier, healthier relationship with your pup. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Boss. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast in North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our guest spot. And today's guest is Dr. Jackie Lyle from the Stewart Sound Animal Hospital. Now, Dr. Lyle joined me previously on the show uh, for a guest spot, and she was there talking more about herself, the Stewart Sound Animal Hospital, the work they do. Uh, But, you know, today I've actually asked her back to come on the show and discuss some more detailed topics with me today. So please help me welcome back to the show, Dr. Jackie Lyle. How are you today? Hi, David. I'm very good. How are you? Doing excellent. I'm so excited to have you back because we have got some really, really great topics we're going to discuss. Uh, I know we're going to go over some diet-related issues with dogs, right? We're going to be talking about diets. We're going to be talking a little bit about grain-free today, raw diet, uh, bloat, among other things. So this is going to be really interesting. I'm really excited to uh, have you on and hear your 
expertise. <laughs> so you know what? Let's just uh, let's dive right into it. I think it's it's probably one of the most talked about. <laughs> I think we kind of picked the two, at least the first two most talked about things yeah. when it comes to diet. That grain free fad, yeah. as I would call it. Yeah. Um, so why don't you just tell us a little bit about grain free, your thoughts on it and your take? Yeah, and and this comes up in almost every single one of my uh, appointments, especially those annual exams where we're really focusing on, um, you know, the overall health of of the patient. And diet is very important to humans, and it's it's just as important to pets as far as their overall health. And um, so I, I always ask my clients, you know, what are are you feeding your dog and why because a lot of my clients will come in and and they are very happy about the fact that um you know they they want the best for their dog and they want to spend as much money and and get the very best food that is out there for their dog and and based on a lot of the information that my clients are told and they see on commercials and you know advertisements and and going to the pet store and different things like that um a, a lot of what they're seeing advertises a grain-free diet and what they don't know is some of the new sort of research that um you know the fda and and veterinarians are actually doing to uh, kind of look deeper into those grain-free diets and, and actually see if they are a good diet for their patients. Um, and what they're seeing actually with, with the new research that's being done is that there is actually a link between grain-free diets and um, and cardiac disease in humans, or, or, sorry, in, in dogs. Mm -hmm. um, it's also seen a little bit in cats, but, but mostly in dogs that we're worried about. Um, and what happens is it, it's called uh, dilated cardiomyopathy, which is actually a disease we see um, not super commonly, but um, it, it is genetically related with, you know, bigger dogs, um, specifically um, Great Danes, Doberman Pinschers, um, and those sort of larger dogs, we worry about the development of this type of disease where their heart kind of just gets enlarged and cannot yeah. function, you know, efficiently. And so we develop heart disease. Um, with this, uh, you know, new fad with the grain-free diets, we are seeing more and more of this disease and not only in those large breed dogs, but a wide variety of small and medium dogs as well. Um, and so this new research, you know, they're looking into what dogs are being seen with this, what, you know, brands are they being fed of, of these grain-free diets? And, and then, you know, is it just a grain-free diet? Um, do they have peas and lentils? Do they have potatoes? What about the grain-free diet is causing all these abnormalities um and and a lot of this information we still don't know the exact um you know we still don't know everything yet and sure. so ongoing research is is trying to figure out all of these things but i think my you know in my opinion if we have such a large risk of causing this heart disease with the grain-free diets then i prefer not to risk that at all um you know, 
most of the time, uh, the reason that my clients are buying the grain-free diets are because they just naturally think that they are better because they are more expensive. And that's what they are told by yeah. either, you know, the, the pet supermarket employee or the commercials that they're watching. Yeah. Um, but you know, medically, there's there's really no good reason for a dog to be put on a grain-free diet. We're really not seeing, um, you know, celiac disease and things like that in humans. Um, that is not really a thing in, in dogs. There's a very rare um, disease of a, a food allergy related to grains. And one specific breed, I think it's a, a type of uh, German short hair pointer, I believe. Um, and I can't even remember this because it was so insignificant in vet school that there was maybe one little slide, um, you know, throughout the whole four years. Um, but the point is that is so rare that that has nothing to do with, with keeping dark. Um, my recommendation is always to, you know, ask your vet, what is the best diet for your patient or your, your pet? Sorry. Um, and most of the time they're probably going to agree with me that, <laughs> that this <laughs> research and everything it's linking to the heart disease is, uh, telling them that's not a good idea. Um, just a couple of facts from the, and I, I printed off this, um, article the one that most vets are going to refer back to is the new research being done by the fda um, and it was just recently updated in june of 2019 um, you can find this anybody can find this online fda.gov uh, kind of go in the search bar and, and type in grain-free diets for dogs and you'll pull up this article um, and I just want to kind of list the most common breeds of dogs that they're seeing um, golden retrievers and labs being the the yeah. top two along with mixed breeds um, so so bigger breed dogs great Danes are, are number four um, but then also they're seeing you know boxers bulldogs zoos um, all types of, of dogs that are affected by this sort of disease um and then lastly i just wanted to kind of touch on they they with all of the cases that they reported they did a graph that includes the top brands of the grain-free diets that they were seeing mm -hmm. and i just want to kind of list a couple because these are very very common that i hear my patients are on um including taste of the wild Blue Buffalo from um, Nature's Domain. So anyone can access this information. Um, and I don't want to be like a big harp about, don't go buy grain-free diets. Like, I don't want to be mean or anything like that. Um, but I am a, ve a veterinarian and I'm very scientific yeah. mind-based. So if I have this information that's scientifically proven, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of stray away from that. And I wish we had more answers. And I think in the near future, we probably will. Um, but right now we're still learning sort of why these diets are doing this. And, and maybe in the future, we'll be able to, to, you know, have some way around it and maybe supplement the diets in some way. But for now, I just try to avoid it completely. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, my guys, you know, we 
really try to avoid any grain free. Uh, you know, anytime I see that, I <laughs> look elsewhere, even with treats, you know, I mean, it's everywhere now, uh, training treats yeah. and all, I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. And it's funny yeah. because to me, it's, it, you know, like you said, it's, it's marketing or it's whatever that's putting this misinformation out there. And, you know, it's no different with the training. I, mean, I, I just talked about this where with like harnesses and, and leashes and all these magical devices that claim to be this magic fix. And I go, you know, if it's magic fix, why are there 20 of them? It's marketing. That's just it. Uh, and someone, someone along the lines heard grain free and for whatever reason said, hey, we could spin this. And before you know it, it just snowballs out of control. Um, so, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I see it. I mean, so often, and it's the first thing you know, I, I like to ask what my clients are feeding their dogs. I mean, by no means am I a veterinarian, uh, but it's good to know and good to put that info out there. And I try to make sure everybody's aware. And it's, it's amazing how many people are really unaware, <clears throat> excuse me, of these studies yeah. that have been done and the links between heart disease yeah. and grain free. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that most clients that I see um, are not mad to learn about they're, they're very happy to learn about yes. you know the research that's being done because they do you know all together all they want is, is to give the best food the that best, they possibly absolutely. can to their dog yeah um and i think that they just need the right information to go off of and sometimes that's not the commercials that they're seeing or or the employee at PetSmart. so Definitely. um yeah yeah, they've been really everybody everywhere has just been pushing grain free. It's crazy, it's yeah, crazy, I think and, so. and and it's like I look. Now I'm not trying to, <laughs> not trying to point a finger at pet stores, but you know, guys, no. let's, let's let's be realistic here. <laughs> but if you're but if and you're that concerned, they, you know. but if you are that concerned about your dog's diet, if you really want to take that, you know, much involved. Ask your veterinarian, <laughs> ask the people yes. that actually, you know, and again, no offense to the pet stores, but you went to school for four years for this. Uh, there's a reason, you know, you, you have access to better information and are more knowledgeable about it. So, um, yeah, right. you know, yeah. So grain free, you know, I, I love it. Avoid it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I love avoiding it. <laughs> I don't love grain free just to be uh, clear there. That was confusing. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, av avoid grain free. That's, that's pretty much what it comes down to with that correlation of heart disease. And again, there's still a lot of missing or excuse me, um, information we don't know out there. Uh, but it's really, really good to hear, you know, from a veterinarian exactly her take and, and what you yep. guys should be feeding your dog. So I think that brings us really, let's go to that next topic there of raw diet. I, I, you know, it's funny on social yeah. media now I'm seeing it like everywhere like it's 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 almost as if people are trying to guilt you as if if you don't feed your dog a raw diet you're doing them this disservice and it's horrible and you're not you're not fulfilling their their canine instincts and i mean it's crazy the stuff yeah. i see yeah uh, and and it just surprises me of of why so many people do want to feed the raw diet and and so i do i always ask you know why um, is this the diet that you've chosen and, and why do you feel so strongly about, you know, mm -hmm. using this type of diet? Um, and a lot of the responses that I get are, you know, we, you know, they were bred in the wild and, you know, we want to <laughs> let them do their natural instincts and all these things. Um, which like I can, tr I, you know, I try to understand that, but at the same time, like little fluffy that is probably like sleep you know wally sleeps under my covers with me my little chihuahua thing so um i don't think he needs the same diet as his ancestors that were out roaming the wild and having to catch 
you know, live animals for, for food and, and living in, you know, horrible temperatures and all of that. So they're living a different life than they used to many, many, many years ago. And because of that, they, they don't require the same diet. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's just so many reasons not to feed a raw diet that it's hard for me, um, to, to ever recommend that. Um, so, and I think this is maybe a little bit easier for, for people to, um, understand than the, the whole grain free concept, but sure. you know, raw, raw diets in dogs are, I don't recommend that for the same reason that most people don't eat raw diets for humans. You know, um, when you go to a restaurant, they ask how you want your steak cooked. And most of the time they're not going to just give it to you raw because that would be, um, <laughs> unsafe for your health. And it's the same thing for dogs. Um, the main reason being many, many types of foodborne illnesses. Um, you know, these raw diets have plenty of really bad bacteria in them, things like salmonella, uh, listeria, many more, but those are probably the two most common that we worry about. Um, and if they're not cooked, then those bacteria will remain in the meat and can then obviously be transferred into your dog's GI tract and, and repopulate and, and cause a very severe illness. Um, and then the other concern is, you know, as, as the owner of that pet, you're handling those meats with all the bacteria and it's getting on your counter and now it's on your hands and now you're going to go make your own food and we've got, you know, all sorts of risk for contamination. Um, and, and those bacteria can be just as harmful to the, the owner as it can be to the pet. Um, you're risking a lot as far as infection. Um, and then going back to that whole, um, you know, the instincts and, and wanting to feed your dog um, the diet that its ancestors ate, um, but realizing that they're living a completely different life nowadays um, than they were back a long, long time ago. Um, so yeah. they, you know, we feed them diets that are, um, specifically formulated for the lifestyle that they're leading now. Um, and, and that's the most important thing. So, um, those are my main spiels and there's, you know, going back as far as, uh, I mentioned sort of an article from the FDA on the grain free diets. There's plenty of articles that owners can read on this as well. Um, so I encourage any owner sort of that, that is looking into a, a raw diet or a grain-free diet just do your research first and um you know kind of see what's out there and and make sure that you're aware of the risk of those diets before you jump into that yeah so i mean i'm i'm just gonna ask you i don't know if you're allowed to answer but what do you feed your dog <laughs> what do i feed my dog what do you feed your dog what do you feed wally my dog hill science diet um most of the time okay. and that's just because he likes it the most i think um sometimes like if i run out of that because i i order it through my work so I, it's not like i get it for free or anything but we have like a delivery system sure um and if i run out of that and i don't have any food over the weekend or something then i typically will go to the store and get some sort of purina um, Purina is, is one of my favorite brands as well. I, I typically say, you know, Hill Science Diet, 
Royal Canin are, are probably the, the two most researched um, diets for dogs. Hmm. And they're spending all of their money on research rather than the marketing aspect. Um, you know, you're not going to see a whole lot of commercials on those two yeah. diets. Um, but they do a lot of research to make sure that their diets are correctly correctly formulated for um, dogs and cats. Mm -hmm. um, but then I think that Purina is is a very good uh, runner up, um, and those types of diets are much more readily available. Like I could get Purina at yeah. the like Dollar General. So um, I very much still like Purina as well. It's it's very researched as well. And um, specifically their pro plan diet, I really like that. You can get sort of individual, um, they have like a joint formula and a geriatric formula yeah. and all kinds of different formulas specific, you know, for your um, pet's needs. Um, so those are, those are my top three. Um, but Purina is probably the easiest to find out and about. Yeah. The other two are a little bit more expensive. Um, but all three are really good. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And I mean, that's, you know, people, I get that question specifically a lot. What do you feed your dogs? And so, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah and I, <laughs> I don't have any endorsements yet. Uh, so we're not going to get into that. Um, but <laughs> I, I think that's a very, like, I don't know why people think that we get money or something. Like if we got money from them, I would be well off. Like, that's not, like, so no, we don't get any sort of like back. No, you endorse you guys endorse food that you believe is a good quality food to feed your pets. Correct. Simple as that. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting because I actually it, it it's funny those brands. It's the same thing kind of across the board when I've spoken you know with other vets, uh, either in the area or even vets when I used to live in Orlando and I, I like to ask that question of what's the top three or what are your favorite brands, uh, and it's funny that it, that's pretty consistent as far as what I hear across the board. So that's yeah. really interesting. Uh, something to kind of take note of there, uh, yeah. everybody out there. See, there's nothing wrong with a good quality uh, dry food or kibble diet. And hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with supplementing with a little wet food too. Um, yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but to me, there's absolutely nothing wrong to Dr. Lyle. There's nothing wrong with a dry kibble diet as long as it is a quality food. So speaking of quality food, so like, like when you go to the store, you know, and you flip the bag over and you have the 50,000 different ingredients listed in each food, uh, what are the ingredients people should look for? What should they stray away from? Really? Like, I mean, cause again, there's just so many different things listed on there. What does the average owner look for in a pet food? I, I am going to be really honest here. Um, I Please. am not a veterinary nutritionist okay. and I, we do have one sh very short nutritionist class in vet school that goes through how to calculate the appropriate percentage of proteins versus carbs and all of that. Um, but overall, I think that finding a brand that is reputable and works well for your dog and is not going to put them at risk for developing any sort of illnesses mm -hmm. is the best way to go. I truly, I, I can't rattle off the top of my head, the, the best way to calculate a percentage of proteins and different things that your dog needs. Um, and that's why we, you know, those brands, the Hill Science Diet, Royal Canin, that's 
that's what they're there for. They're doing the research. They, that sure. is all that they do sure. and they know the best. Um, so we're going to go off that. We're going to go sense. off the veterinary nutritionist that's in charge of, of formulating those diets. Um, because I was not trained enough in that for specific. that specific sure. thing. Um, so, so that's sort of where I'm at with Yeah, that. no, that makes, that makes total as, sense. As a, yeah. Like as a client or as a, as an owner, um, that's getting their first dog, they should not have to know the percentage of protein <laughs> in their dog's food. Like that. I don't even know the percentage of protein in my diet. So I, I, yeah, too much for me. So I would, I would like, like I said, find a good brand um that you trust and, and works for your dog and stick with that yeah and well, that makes sense mm-hmm. so the other thing i wanted to discuss is uh bloat and i know you you have you you have the technical term for it and that's why you're here uh but no this is a this is something i come across often with um owners you know as i was telling dr light it's, it's interesting to me i come across so many owners with larger breed dogs that have never heard of this don't are, are completely unaware right. So, so when you said bloat, um, I, I guess veterinarians are more trained to call it GDV. The first thing yeah. that comes to my mind is calling it GDV. Yeah. And what that stands for is gastric dilatation and bovulus. Um, and so there's, there's two components to that. The first one being that the stomach uh, dilates or expands and is distended. And then the second part being after it's distended, it kind of rotates on an axis yeah. in, inside the abdomen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for it to be a GDV, it has to have those two components. Now you can also have just a regular bloat, which, you know, sometimes occurs if, if they eat a very large amount of food at one time and we just have a very large distended stomach. Um, and that can happen without it rotating. And then the rotation can also happen without the huge bloat, um, the the scariest of them all is when those two things happen together and then we call that a gdv um and and it's a very scary thing to deal with because it can become an emergency very very quickly um and and uh, you know the treatment is is most likely an emergency surgery is going to be needed yeah um so it's a very important disease for owners to be aware of and specifically are large breed dogs um, because that's the most common uh, sort of breed of dog that we see. You know, I think of big uh, German Shepherds, uh, Great Danes, Mastiffs. Um, large chest cavities. Labradors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So any of those dogs are at risk. It can happen in other breeds of dogs. Um, it's just most common to happen in those larger breed dogs. Um, and you were kind of talking about, you know, how, how can we avoid this? Um, a lot of the time we don't know the exact reason why this happened. We can kind of formulate, um, you know, a a good guesstimation based on the history of, of, you know, what happened prior to this, you know, a, a dog coming in with GDV. Um, the most common thing I, I, you know, we typically see is when a dog eats a really large amount of food and then. And they're maybe even a very nervous dog or high energy dog, or maybe they go on a really big run right afterwards and they're moving around a lot. And so then, you know, we've got a big old stomach and it flips on its axis. Um, But I've seen it happen many times where 
they eat, you know, a regular amount of food and, and they're not super active, but they're just a really nervous dog or, or you know, there's, there's a lot of different scenarios where it can happen. Hmm. Um, but I, I would caution, I think the most common thing would be, you know, if you only feed your dog one time and they eat four cups of food at that one time, then maybe try to separate the feedings and then also learning not to, you know, let's not feed our dog and then go to the dog park right exactly. afterwards, you know, yes. allow, allow them to have some time to really digest that food before we are um, having any sort of high energy activity. Um, so, and I just kind of want to go over the signs of what a dog might look like if this were actually to be happening. Um, so, you know, owners at home should look out for things like retching, you know, typically they're trying to, to puke, but nothing may be coming out. Um, and that's because that, that stomach is torched. Yeah. So it's, it's flipped on its axis. So nothing is able to really come out because it's flipped over on itself. Mm -hmm. Um, other things would be, you know, typically their, their belly is going to be a little bit distended. You can kind of see, it looks like they're, they have a pot belly appearance sometimes. Yeah. Um, very, very painful episode. Uh, and sometimes they can even collapse or, or become very, very weak to the point where they're not standing. Um, and a lot of that has to do with sort of the blood flow and in the body that, that is cut off with that, that tours of the stomach. Um, it can lead to, you know, circulatory shock where the, the blood is really not flowing to the stomach and, and a lot of the vital organs. And so we see a, a lot of very emergent situations with this because of that. Um, mm. And they can even, you know, I've seen plenty of dogs where they come into the vet as soon as they can. And, and a lot of times it's still too late. Yeah. Um, so if you see anything like this, especially if you've got a large breed dog, um, and you know, you kind of know the signs and, and you know that, you know, maybe he ate a big amount of food earlier, then I would say go immediately to the closest, you know, emergency or, or, or your referring deviant or vet, um, that you can get to. Um, and then lastly, we, you know, we kind of touched on this. There is an even better way to prevent this from happening, especially if you've got one of those large breed dogs, say you just got a, a Great Dane puppy, um, we're eight weeks old at this point, we're starting vaccines and looking forward to eventually getting that pet spayed. Um, ask your vet, you know, are we at risk for developing a GDV in the future? If so, your vet can even do a preventative surgery during that same time of the spay. It's called a gastropexy and it's very, very simple. Uh, you pretty much go in there and just kind of staple the, the uh, stomach wall to, um, the, to the body wall mm -hmm. so that it is not able to turn around like that. They can still technically get a bloat, um, yeah. but it's not able to pour to flip like over, that. Sure. Yeah. So um, that is always an option as well. And, and um, you know, I try to bring that up in my sort of little puppy visits and things like that for my owners to think about. Um, obviously, it's an additional sort of surgery that they're going to have to get. Um, but if we can do it at the same time that, that their pet's already going to be under anesthesia, it makes it very reasonable and, and preventative for this really horrible yeah. emergency situation. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of my take on GDV. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I know there's 
not the direct correlations of it, but um, obviously, as you said, a lot of times with with exercise. So I'm I'm uber paranoid about it. You know, I have a half lab, half Great Dane, and um, I've always been extra paranoid in any any of my client dogs. You know, to me, it's just I want to be I'd rather err on the side of caution. Uh, then risk it. So I have a 45 minute to hour rule. If we've been for a big exercise, big run or anything like that, we wait 45 minutes to an hour before feeding. I let them settle. I make sure they're kind of relaxing, uh, letting the stomach settle back, like you said. And same thing after. If they just ate 45 minutes to an hour before we can do any swimming, exercise, running, anything like that. Um, Again, I I know there's not those complete direct correlations to it, but it's it's funny. I've over the years, how many people I it's it's surprising to me, really. How many people have lost pets due to this? You know, uh, it's really, really sad. And again, it's not 100% preventable, as you said. Sometimes it can just happen. Um, And I've heard that, too, where they said, look, you know, the dog hadn't exercised or anything and still got it. Uh, Still Mm -hmm. happened. Still my stomach flipped over. So, you know, I try to, like I said, I try to err on the side of caution. And that's why, again, I recommend that when you're, when you're, you know, boarding a dog or anything like that, that the people watching and taking care of your dogs are aware of it, because at least that's one way we can try to be ahead of it. Um, but right. Now, and that way, if they see any symptoms, they know, you know, to go exactly. to the vet immediately, because the quicker that they're able to, to get that dog in yes. and start treating the better the prognosis it's going to be for them. Definitely. And then I'm, I was just curious if you knew the, um, and, and I, <laughs> this is why I'm not a vet, uh, the, the, the procedure to actually uh, staple the stomach lining. Has that has that been done? Is that more of a recent kind of uh, thing or has that been kind of a long time vets have been doing that? I mean, I'm not that old. I know. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you're, you're still new to the game. I know. I'm not trying to. Like years, Fair so enough. I was just curious if you knew. I, I feel like I've known about gastroplexes even since I was pretty young. Okay. Um, and I've known many vets to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it's been around for a little bit. Um, hmm. Maybe more encouraged now just because sure. of, of um, how much more dogs are getting spayed you know back in the day spaying and neutering your pet wasn't as um important i guess or wasn't people weren't as aware of the risk of of not doing those sort of things so i think we're maybe encouraging it more since they're they are already you know probably going under anesthesia for a a, you know a a pretty general procedure Mm -hmm. um and they can get it done at the same time nice is there any is there any age limit on that? I mean, just I'm kind of throwing out a ra- random questions as I'm thinking of them. Is it, is it dog too old at any point to do that? If they had to have a surgery and someone wanted to do that later on in their life? Um, no, the exact answer to that. But I would say, you know, as far as like research into that, but I would say if your dog is healthy enough to undergo surgery anesthesia, yeah, then. It would probably, probably be can. appropriate if you would want to to get that done. Yeah, just... um, you know, especially if they, you know, are going under anesthesia for some other. Procedure. Exactly, that was that was right. kind of my thought. Yeah, you know, a dental cleaning, or maybe sure. they're getting mass removed or something like that. Um, and the owner wants to get that done, then I would say that's certainly a reasonable option to look into. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I don't, to be honest, I really, I don't do a whole lot of them. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because I, I personally don't encourage it enough, or maybe I just don't see enough huge, you know, really giant breeds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
maybe I should start encouraging him. I, I don't know. Um, but, but I think that more people need to be aware of, of GDV as a whole and, yes. and know sort of their options and, and try, you know, how to prevent it. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good information here. This is awesome. I really, uh, it was really great. And I, I love that we could really talk about the grain free thing because it's just, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. And the raw diet I think is like the new grain free fat. I feel like that's kind of what's happening. Yeah. Now as we're transitioning into the new fat, the new greatest, yeah. uh, diet for dogs. So, you know, you heard yeah. it here guys. It's, 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 it's not, we, we leave the science to the people actually doing the research <laughs> on the subjects. And I love that, uh, you know, you said that as well. So, you know, really at the end of the day, it just comes down to finding a good quality food that you're comfortable with. Um, look, as I even said in a previous podcast though, let's, let's not be, silly and go out and buy a couple hundred dollars, <laughs> you know, a hundred dollar bag of dog food that you can't afford, obviously put a head on your shoulders and be realistic about it. Um, yeah. but look, I think there's a direct correlation to people. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you already know it, uh, the direct correlation to people not feeding quality foods and then the health risks that kind of come with it down the road. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like if you eat McDonald's every day <laughs> for, you're probably going to pay the price yeah. down the road health wise. So I kind of look at it that way is find the healthy balance balance between finding a, a decent price food, but either way, you know, you're either going to pay for it down the road with some health issues and surgeries or what have you, or maybe we can be a little more preventative by feeding them a quality food and something that's good, uh, good for right. them. And again, finding that balance between it. So, uh, but again, yeah. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show again and we got to kind of dive into some detailed stuff and, and got some great information from you. So thank you so much again for coming on and thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. I will come back anytime. Awesome. Um, you're going to, you're going to be my regular, uh, vet go-to. How about that? I like it. <laughs> Ooh, I'm fine with that. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, we'll talk again soon. And, uh, thank you again, Dr. Jackie Lyle from the Stuart Sound Animal Hospital. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Bye. The answer to today's trivia question, what breed of dog inspired the character of Chewbacca from Star Wars? The Alaskan Malamute. Yes, George Lucas actually had a dog named Indiana that was an Alaska Malamute, and not only did it inspire Chewbacca, but obviously his name was the source of the Indiana Jones movies. Now, any of you out there who've been listening to my show regularly, you've heard me talk about Southern Pride Gourmet Foods. Now look, this isn't an advertisement, this is a straight up endorsement. Ken Co. over at Southern Pride Gourmet Foods, I know him very well, he's a great guy, small business owner, and more importantly, his products are amazing. Look, I love to cook, personally, I really do, I love to cook, I love to be in the kitchen, and I I try to get better, and I I like to think of myself as a decent chef. (laughs) But I love using Ken's products in the kitchen because they're just so darn good. I can't stress it enough. They're incredible. Uh, look, I, I, I know some of you go, David, dogs and, and food products, they don't really go together. And you're right, they don't. But that's just it. That's how good these things are that I needed to come on my show and give Ken a shout out for this. Give him my endorsement because of how amazing his stuff is. You got to go check it out, guys. SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. He ships nationwide 
nationwide. You heard me right, nationwide shipping. So go check it out. He's got spice rubs that I use on my steaks now all the time. He has got amazing olive oils. He's got barbecue sauces. The uh, spicy, like spicy, spicy apple butter barbecue sauce. That stuff is good. And you can also buy his jams and jellies. I've been using them not only on like toast, but I'm putting them on my proteins like barbecue chicken. Uh, actually, he makes a, a sweet potato butter. Oh, that was for dinner last night on my barbecue chicken. It was amazing, guys. I can't stress it enough. I'm going to say it again. SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. You got to go check it out. And of course, I have to give the endorsement of my favorite product of his, his beef jerky. Oh, he has a ton of different flavors. It practically melts in your mouth. It's literally, I'm not even exaggerating. It's literally the best beef jerky I have ever eaten. You know, I bought some beef jerky for my in-laws for Christmas from Ken. It's already gone and they've already reordered. <laughs> That's how good this stuff is, guys. I'm not joking around. I'm not messing around. Ken's a small business owner, a good local guy, and that's why I'm here to give him my endorsement and his stuff is incredible. Go check it out for yourself, southernpridegourmetfoods.com. Drop him an email. He's a great guy. You can talk to him directly. He'll make sure you get exactly what you need. Once again, southernpridegourmetfoods.com, where everything that they have is yummy for the tummy. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Beagle. Now, the Beagle are a member of the Hound Group. Yes, they're a scent hound and a small to medium-sized dog. And kept in good health, these guys can live for 10 to 15 years. Known for being a lovable and happy dog, these confident pups make excellent family dogs and companions. That, of course, would explain why they are one of the most popular breeds in the United States. And they're very energetic, they're curious, and clever dogs, and they require a lot of playtime and stimulation. Keeping these guys busy, providing a lot of training, well, it goes a long way for them. Being that they are a scent hound, their noses are strong and their desire to follow smells can make them a bit independent and require a little bit more training to keep them under control. Now, beagles do have a few health issues to be concerned about and be aware of. Uh, they are uh, prone to hip dysplasia, hypothyroidism, epilepsy, luxating patellas, and a few eye disorders as well. Now, extra care must also be taken to ensure those nice big ears stay clean. The origin of the beagle, it's up for debate. Even the name itself is really unknown. Some people argue that the Gaelic word uh, big, meaning little, is where the name comes from, while others point to the French term for the sound that the dog makes when they're hunting, bigule. Now again, I might have butchered those two words and I apologize, uh, but that's kind of where the belief of the origin of the name came from. But the distant relatives of the beagle might be traced back to England well before the arrival of the Roman legions. And Roman legions arrived somewhere around 15, uh, excuse me, 55 BC. So even before that, there were reports of small pack hounds being used to hunt rabbit and hare around this time. Now by the 1500s, English gentlemen of the time, they had large packs of larger hounds to track deer and smaller hounds to track rabbits and hare. So those smaller hounds are believed to be the ancestors of the modern day beagle. Unlike larger breeds like the foxhound, the beagle could easily be hunted on foot instead of horseback. This made them more appealing to those who either couldn't afford to stable and take care of a horse, or maybe those that were just too old to ride around on horseback all day. So one could easily keep up with the uh, smaller dog, like a beagle, on foot. 
Now, the beagle made its way to America sometime after the Civil War, and their popularity soared for rabbit hunting. The first beagle registered to the AKC was a dog named Blunder in 1885. To this day, hunters still swear by the power of the beagle's nose and excitable approach to rabbit hunting. Although these guys were bred for the hunt, their excellent noses make them at, uh, great at a variety of tasks such as bomb detection work, sniffing out termites and bed bugs, and more. In pop culture, we've seen them as lovable characters such as Gromit from Wallace and Gromit, Odie from Garfield, Mr. Peabody from Rocky and Bullwinkle, and of course, Snoopy from Charlie Brown. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Angie from Lakeland, Florida. Angie asks, what kind of crate should I be using for my puppy? Well, Angie, there's obviously different kinds of crates. Really, there's kind of two main ones, right? We've got the wire, foldable metal crates, and we have the plastic crates. Honestly, either one's a good choice. There's really nothing wrong with either one. I tend to go with the metal crates, the foldable crates, mainly because sometimes I'll have up to eight crates or more uh, set up in this house for being able to crate dogs. Depends on what I, you know, if I have puppies or dogs that are not trained. And so to me, it's sort of a logistical thing. I need to have crates that can be folded up and put away easily, right? And the plastic crates just don't allow that. So, you know, just just on the ability to be able to fold and put it away, I prefer the metal crates. Now, the plastic crates tend to provide a little more shelter, a little more protection. Maybe if you live in a cold environment, uh, that plastic can help block some of that cold. So, you know, if you're in a cold house at night, if it gets in winter, um, understandably so, that maybe you'd want to go toward a plastic one. It can provide a little more insulation, a little more comfort. But there's nothing wrong with the metal crates. So, you know, there's really no wrong answer on, hey, is there a right and a wrong type of crate? What I will say is size of the crate matters. Now, I, I did segments on puppy training and, and learning how to introduce the crate. You can listen to more of that. But basically, you want just enough space for your puppy to be able to stand up in place comfortably, turn around in place and lay back down. You don't want to give them too much space because then it leads to bathroom issues. And again, you can go back and listen to my uh, getting a new puppy segment or crating, all different kinds of information on previous podcasts that'll help you out there. Next question. This comes from Jacob from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Jacob asks, how do I get my dog to swim? He's a lab and I feel like he should love the water, but he doesn't. So what gives? <laughs> you know, Jacob, swimming's a tough thing because you don't want to push it. You don't want to push it too hard, too fast with a dog, even if it's an older dog. Let's say, I mean, I don't know if your dog's a puppy or older, um, but either way, you don't want to push it because if you push it and, and freak your dog out or get them scared, it can be a little detrimental to the training process and get in the back of the pool. And then we create, end up creating an unhealthy fear of the pool and it can be difficult. So I'll say this. One easy way is to just not force it. Let your dog be around other dogs that are swimming. If you can find either a doggy day camp place or you have some friends that have dogs you want to have over that like to swim, let your dog watch the other dogs. And sometimes it takes a couple repetitions. It's not just one day of why, you know, um, I, I have dogs that come for doggy day camp that might be fearful of water. Right. And so what I'll let them do is I'll just bring them out on the patio with us. And, and, and again, I let them have their space. They can be as far from the pool as they want. And I let them watch the other dogs. 
And oftentimes after enough repetition of that, they start to get curious. They're kind of like, hey, they look like they're having fun. What's going on over there? I want to check that out. And before you know it, they're starting to put their feet in on the steps. And then again, on their own terms, on their own time, I let them come to it and getting more comfortable and acclimated with the water. Another thing you can do is put a life vest. I know it's a big lab and he probably floats pretty well as it is, but get a good life vest that's made for your dog and put it on your dog. Just sometimes having that buoyancy around them can help them feel more comfortable and confident in the water, and that can be helpful. Now, one other tip for you I'll give you, if you can find somewhere with a gradual entry, either go find a lake, a river, or just a pool with a gradual entry, that can really help. How often in nature is a dog, does dog, do dogs not feel the ground under their feet, right? It's only when they're a puppy and mom is lifting them up by their scruff. So it sort of can be a little bit unnatural and a little uneasy for them by going down steps and feeling the ground just completely disappear from under them, you know, versus having a nice gradual entry can make them feel more comfortable. And it, again, it allows them to get acclimated to the water slowly. If they only want to go in two inches at the water, let them only go in two inches and get comfortable, play around splashing. Then they'll go more and more and more. But really take it easy, take it slow, don't push it, take your time. And if you can find somewhere with a gradual entry that's going to allow your dog to feel more comfortable entering and exiting the water, that can go along way toward getting them more comfortable with swimming. That's it for the show today. Thank you guys so much for joining and a very special thank you to Dr. Jackie Lyle from the Stuart Sound Animal Hospital for joining on the guest spot. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Find me on social media, speakadogcast. Have a wonderful week and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. <laughs>